Last week when you saw me shuffling around here in the pulpit, I was looking for my notes. And you know what had happened to them? They'd slipped out before I came up here and I found them on the floor in my office. And some of you said, it's, maybe you should throw your notes away from here on in. We are still working our way through the book of Acts, so take a Bible, find the book of Acts. That's the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to be going through a portion of chapter 18 today. I'm trying to keep the material to the second missionary journey. So next week, we will be in Ephesus. Today, we are in Corinth, and this is the end of the second missionary journey. Karen has put a nice, colorful map up there, so maybe you can see some of the places. And, and possibly some folks here, uh, Carol and, and others, have been to Greece and been to places like Corinth. I haven't um, been there yet, um, so if you send me to Athens last week, you can send me to Corinth this week. And uh, I hear that... Um, the Greek economy is really bad at this point in time, so you get a lot for your dollar. It's a good time to go. Um, let's have a word of prayer because we're opening God's Word and we're trying to, to find help in our time of need in His Word. Gracious God, I, from the bottom of my heart, I really want to thank you on, from myself on behalf of this congregation for your holy word. We know that people have risked their lives, uh, sacrificed their lives to bring us your Bible. And somehow, in some mysterious way, Lord, we're able to connect with you through your word. Please energize this service with your presence. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the gift of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things I want us to think about as we go to Corinth today is what kind of place was it? Uh, in my study Bible, I have a very nice introduction. Probably take me the whole sermon to give you the introduction here. But if I turn to 1 Corinthians, I have a nice introduction. And some of the main points there are worth mentioning. For example, we know that Corinth was an extremely important city in the Roman Empire. We know that it was a place of commerce, business place. So if any of you have a business background, then you can relate to some of the things that were going on in Corinth. It was a place of culture. We saw that last week with Athens. We can continue that with Corinth. It's also had its religion, just like they had in Athens. But one of the most famous things that Corinth is known for is what? Which represented... Corinth was known for its immorality. Now, I don't know what they'll have on your tombstone or what your reputation is, but that's probably something that you don't want to have on there. But even in, even in a very worldly part of the empire, they would laugh at the Corinthians 
And even in our English language, to Corinthianize means that you uh, are promiscuous. And many of these problems that they had within a sinful society, big urban sinful place, obviously came into the church. In our Bible class this morning, I did mention to my class uh, some of the the kind of issues that that would present. For Paul, who was commissioned by God to go to these different places and to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had heard and responded to the Macedonian call. He was very willing to be used by God to tell people about Jesus Christ. But when it came to a place like Corinth, he had his work cut out. So we know about Corinth for its commerce, its culture, its religion, and also its immorality. When we turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, we see that um, certain decrees had gone forth It says in verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Didn't get a very good reception in Athens. They didn't really persecute him. They pretty much kind of laughed him out of town. Um, mocked him, mocked, mocked the faith. And so he moves on to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, so Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned here. Now, they're going to be mentioned later in the chapter, so I'm not going to spend much time on Aquila and Priscilla, except to mention that this Claudius, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So here's this secular leader. What's his name? Claudius, a Roman emperor, who had made this decree that these Jews should leave Rome. The question is, why did they have to leave Rome? And if you have some study Bible, something to help you to explain that, here's what it says um, in, in the study notes here that this expulsion is recorded in Suetonius, who is a historian, so we call it extra-biblical literature, literature outside of the Bible that corroborates an event that could be uh, read about in the Bible, that Suetonius uh, said that the expulsion order was given because of the Jews' continual tumults instigated by Crestus. Crestus. Now, not everyone's convinced of this, but I have really no problems with it. Crestus can mean who? Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that the church early on was very Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. Most of his followers were Jews. Very, very Jewish church. And I have no problem thinking that the Christians could be so aggressive 
in their sharing of the Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the name of Christ, the person of Christ, the claims that were made for Jesus Christ, that he really was the Messiah, possibly stirred up tumult. The Jews were very aggressive. Certain Jews were very aggressive against other Jewish Christians. And so the Romans were tired, kind of getting tireder and tireder and tireder of these Jews, and they kicked them out of the city of Rome. Now we know that didn't happen for a long period of time, but it seems to be the reason the secular leader, his decree was the reason for people like Aquila and Priscilla to find their way to Corinth. That is going to be very significant when it comes to Paul and sharing the gospel in his ministry. It says um, Paul went to, to see them because he was a tent maker as they were. So they had the same occupation, the same trade. And he stayed and he worked with them. So they're building relationships. Think of, think of um, your whole faith as a relationship. Think of it in terms of relationship. Um, I try to say, not the Anderson Church, because people will think of the Anderson Building when I say that, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say the Anderson Church family. So as soon as I mention family, we're talking of relationships, right? When Christ takes over my life, a new relationship is formed. Before I knew Christ, I was antagonistic to the claims of Christ. When I get saved, I become open to the claims of Christ, and I embrace the claims of Christ. A new relationship has formed. We here in church, we don't have to have relationships so much with one another. We can come and we can go and not speak with anybody. We cannot stay for the fellowship meal if we don't want to. We don't have to come to worship if we don't want to. And yet, there is an onus upon us to form wholesome relationships in the church, right? Think of the church like your own family. If you have, now maybe your own family is totally dis dysfunctional, and that wouldn't be a good illustration, but if not, then think of your church as your family. And I tell you something, folks, and some of you will understand what I'm going to say, when I came to Christ at 20 years of age, when I sat down in that Adventist church and God said to me, boom, this is your spiritual home, I realized very quickly I'd found a new family. And I can't say I was consciously looking for an, a new family, but suddenly I had a spiritual family. And outside of that spiritual family, I was, it was Jesus and me. I didn't know Christians. So the idea of relationships and family is very important to me. It's very important in the Bible. And we live in a society, we're talking a lot the next few months on outreach, evangelism, witnessing. We're living in a society that's fragmented. Whether people know it or not, they're looking for wholesome relationships. They're looking for a sense of family, many of them. 
So when they walk through our doors, and I heard some good news this morning that some of you have been friendly and greeting some of our guests here today, then let's look on them as, as a guest in our home. And we want to embrace them, we want to get to know them, we want to pray with them, and, and of course encourage them. We certainly have some folks in our midst today, as we had last week, who have lost loved ones. Well, you know for sure that if you, knew, if you had someone that you knew who had lost a loved one and they came to your home, you're going to try and comfort them, right? It's no different. It's no different in our church family. So, new relationships are being formed before, between Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul because the secular ruler made this expulsion decree for the Jews in Rome. Now, I don't know what you think about making tents. And I've never made a tent, and probably never will. But we also have another principle coming up here of Christians being able to earn a living from their occupation, and then at the same time finding time to share the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see a switch in Paul's approach here from spending probably a certain amount of time on the tent making, enough to bring, to cover his expenses at least, and his, his, his money for travel and things like that, and also the need to share the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that Timothy comes along in verse 5, and Silas, and then we see Paul, whether they brought a monetary gift, some scholars think that is so, it doesn't say so in the text. We find Silas and Timothy coming from Macedonia, and then we see Paul exclusively uh, preaching in verse 5, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And we just see in verse 4 also that every Sabbath, we've seen that many times, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, Paul's not trying to convince Jews and Greeks about the importance of the Sabbath. Larry was doing that. Was it in a fishing boat, Larry? So, so, so Larry has been in a fishing boat witnessing. Now, I don't know if, if that's a dangerous thing to do because maybe they can tip you out if they don't like what they hear. And, and if you've been tipped out enough and if the water's cold enough, maybe you wouldn't be so keen to witness in the fishing boat next time. Something like that was going on with Paul. We have, as we've worked our way through the book of Acts, we have seen him persecuted. We have seen him stoned to the point where it looked like he was dead. And he's really not sure of this Corinthian thing. And in a few verses, we're going to see this becomes a real important issue in his life. When the Jews opposed Paul, so Paul is witnessing, Paul is testifying every Sabbath, and then maybe every day, 
in verse 5, devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Remember what I said last week? I've said it a number of times now. It's coming up again in this passage. It's not an accident. Luke is including it. Hopefully we notice it, that he's reasoning. He's arguing. He's persuading. He's not just throwing it out there and saying, Jesus is the Lord, follow him, otherwise you go to hell. He's giving reasons. He's like a lawyer, like an attorney. He's presenting his case. You and I need to learn how to do that. Now, I realize that there's a balance here. We're not going to argue people into the kingdom, right? And it's not because of of our intelligence or, or our ability, our eloquence or anything like that that's going to win souls to Christ. But we do, when we open our mouth, we do have something to say. And we should say it in a reasoned way, in a way that makes sense. Persuade. Wasn't Joe talking about that, trying to persuade his dog? And then what was he eating here? What was it that you had? Tadpoles? What was it? I th- and I thought he was vegetarian. But there's a certain way of persuading. Ellen White uses, maybe in Desire of Ages, the idea of alluring people to Christ. Make this Jesus so attractive, because he is attractive, right? I mean, it's very consistent with the person if we, we use our God-given ability to make Jesus so attractive that people are drawn to him. And I have no doubt whatsoever that the Apostle Paul had all of those abilities and more to persuade and reason. But people have choices to make. People have wills that they can say no. And so we see here in verse 6 that the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive. He shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. That reminds us of Ezekiel there. I am clear of my responsibility. From now, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, don't think for a minute that from this point on, he doesn't ever preach and teach to Jews again, because he does. And we've already seen that his methodology, his strategy, is to go to these important places, go to the synagogue, which were Jewish synagogues, and then share the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's obviously something changing here. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So right next door, it it looks like that from the text, right? Went next door, this is the translation, really close, to this worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. So Paul is seeing fruitage from his ministry here, but he's also getting a whole lot of abuse. Some pretty foul language. And I don't know how you and I handle that. Do we handle that well? If somebody's in your face with their four-letter words because you're witnessing about Jesus, how do you handle that? I'll tell you, it's not easy. For me, it's not easy. And when Paul was laughed at and mocked 
In Athens, do you remember last week we talked about that? What's this babbler, this seed picker? It looks like he couldn't get out of Athens quick enough. So these nasty, abusive Jewish people were in his face, and he tells them, your blood's on your own head. I'm going to another group, the Gentiles. And yet, here's the synagogue ruler and his entire household believing in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So you can be in the midst of hostility and still see fruitage. And I know for some of you, you're in some hostile environments, right? When I go to England, I wouldn't say I'm in a hostile environment, but I'm very much with unbelievers. I mean, I have to search long and hard in England to find people of like, like mind in the faith. And so I'll try the best way I know how to witness to them, and I've done that for many, 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 many years. Um, possibly the closest I got was with an uncle that was dying, and um, he started to tell me what a good life he'd lived. And you know, right? Surely the Anderson Church family knows we're not saved by our good works. But here you are with somebody that's got just a, maybe a few months to live. You love them. They're your uncle. Roy was always the comedian, always funny, always fun to be around. And here he is, his bodily, body is riddled through with cancer, he's going to die within a few months, and this is your opportunity, maybe your last opportunity, because I live in America and he lives in England, to witness to him. And so I tried the best way I knew how to, to share the Lord Jesus Christ with him, and who knows, maybe on that great resurrection day, Pastor Terry will have some big surprises. Don't you think well, there'll be some surprises there? I'm sure there will be. So here's some fruitage, but here's, I think, a really important point in our sermon this morning. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Now, we know from the life of Paul that he had a number of manifestations of the Lord Jesus Christ, if I can put it that way. We know, and we've spoken about in the, already in the book of Acts, how he meets Christ on the road going into Damascus. You can walk that road today. It's still there, and you can imagine being there with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, coming in, in some of his glory there, no doubt shrouding it so it wouldn't kill Paul. Paul also had dreams and visions. This is not the first time here, but this is significant. Because notice what Jesus says, and think of your own life as I read this, do not be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Is there a tendency in the hearts of all of us to smooth it down, to soften it? 
Now, there is a place for smoothing and softening. We're not to approach everyone the same way. Didn't we study this morning? Wasn't it in our study this morning about Paul saying, I'm all things to all people, to the Jew I'm a Jew, to the Gentile I'm a gentle, Gentile? There, there is a need to, to modify your approach. I do this in my preaching. If I feel I'm with people that need assurance of salvation, I will emphasize that point. And if I feel I'm with people who are, uh, as we have certainly in the book of Corinthians, people who are living a sinful lifestyle and calling themselves Christian, then there is a need of warning. So the Bible does this. We should do it in our preaching and in our sharing and our witnessing and our teaching. There is a place to... I was reading in um, Acts of the Apostles, Ellen White's section on this, and around this Corinthian experience, and she said, Paul would not confront these, these Corinthians with their sin. So it's not like Paul went to Corinth and says, okay, you guys are the most immoral people. They behave way better in Athens than you do in Corinth. And your blood's on your own head and I'm out of here. That's not what, not what she says. She would, he would try and guide them and give them hope and point them, obviously, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the appropriate time, maybe, maybe by the time they're getting baptized or at some appropriate time, then he would give them more counsel. We know from the book of Corinthians, if you read the first early chapters of 1 Corinthians, we know that he had given them a very simplified form of Christianity. Now, those of you that are Seventh-day Adventists and, and have uh, a few years ago you had 27 beliefs, but now you have 28, uh, you have a lot of material to share with people, right? And sometimes it's kind of hard to get, get through all of this stuff. There is a place, especially as our society becomes biblically illiterate, which is what is happening. It's happening in the Seventh-day Adventist church, it's happening in the pews, and it's most certainly happening in Christendom and in society. We are not dealing with people who know their Bibles very well. So there is a need to really simplify, get it down to its irreducible minimum. And hopefully in the, in the near, in the coming weeks, you'll be hearing more about that uh, in our church where we have a program, we have a method to, to do it really, really simply and, um, and get at least lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ellen White says Paul did this. It's his method. It's his strategy. I want us to think about method and strategy, but also to think about how this bold, courageous, powerful, spirit-anointed man can have his weak moments not the way we normally think of Paul. And this isn't the only place where we see uh, some of the weakness of Paul. At the end of uh, the book of Ephesians, after he, he emphasizes prayer, he says, pray for me also. Pray f- that I'll preach this word as I should preach it, with power, with strength, with conviction. 
So notice Jesus' words, do not be afraid. He obviously was afraid. Is this another place where he's going to get beat up? Is this the place where they're going to kill him? Is this the place where they're going to mock him, abuse him? Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. Isn't that the great gospel promise in Matthew 28, verse 20? Go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Is he preaching the gospel? Absolutely. What a great example of somebody preaching the gospel. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching men all things that I taught. So, so, so you do have a lot of truth to share with people, but not all at the same time. It's a spiritual sandwich, not a three-course three meal. And lo, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always. The presence of Jesus is on the cutting edge of outreach and evangelism. If outreach, evangelism, witnessing is not really part of your life, I would suggest that you probably know very little of the presence of Jesus. doesn't mean to say you're not saved. It doesn't mean to say Jesus is not there. You just will not have the sense of his presence as you will when you're trying to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important to God that we get the word out right? And we're spending months and months studying that uh, in our Sabbath school time. So I am with you. No one is going to attack and, and harm you because I have many people in this city. So they may be abusive. They may be in your face. They may be giving you a hard time, but they're not going to be allowed to touch you and hurt you physically. That Probably Paul is still feeling the pain in his bones, for all I know, from being almost stoned to death. Because I have many people in this immoral, perverse place. Many gems that have got to be plucked out cleaned up. Many gems for the Lord Jesus Christ in this place. To look at Corinth, to live in Corinth, you wouldn't know that. But hey, God is above. He's like one of these satellite Google cameras that gives big, has a big panoramic view of planet Earth. Not just planet Earth, but the whole universe. But, but planet Earth especially because this is where the problems are, right? We are the problems, human beings. Sinful human beings. So God has this big panoramic picture, and that's really what's going on throughout the book of Acts, throughout the whole Bible. What is the Bible about? Has anybody ever asked you that question? How, do, how would you answer it? Well, it's about, it's about the feast days. It's about the laws, like Sabbath. And the, rea the reality is most people are not going to catch the big picture. But the big picture is God has a plan. God has his working his purposes out. And if he needs to move on, on a Roman emperor to get the Jews out of 
Jerusalem, so Aquila and Priscilla end up in Corinth with Paul. That's what he'll do. You and I would never guess it. I'm sure that Aquila and Priscilla, when, the, when they were kicked out, didn't think of it. But God is working his purposes out. Uh, it's very interesting that in one place, Ellen White says that, putting it in my own words, that when we're with God in glory and we look back on our life and think of, think of what happened. I read a beautiful story last night about a book written by Barbara Westfall. Have you ever heard the name Westfall? Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Barbara Westfall wrote a book on these missionaries called Ford. And they were coming to the end of their, their ministry and they had buried three children in this missionary country um, where they had been, been working. To us, it can seem an absolute disaster. And yet, in reality, God is working His purposes out. Think of that when times are confusing and when you want to give up and you get discouraged. I don't think Paul got discouraged very often. He did here, for sure. Quite fearful. But I'm sure Jesus in His mercy and His compassion. Do you like that phrase where it says in the Bible, the God of compassion? God has lots of different attributes. One of them is the God of compassion. So Don and Evelyn... Hopefully you'll know something about the God of compassion as you go through this uh, sorrowful time and realize He really is with us in the tough times and in the good times. Anyway, many people in this city, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the Word of God. He's now planting a church. He's establishing this church in Corinth. Now, while Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. So he's being attacked. Didn't Jesus say he wouldn't be attacked? Here he has been, but they won't hurt him. That's the point. And so it says there in verse 12 and 13, they brought him into court and they said, this man, Paul, they, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, you and I would probably skip over that pretty quick if we were reading the book of Acts on our own, but don't go so quick. Think about what that means. Is Christianity in harmony with biblical Judaism? Didn't Jesus say salvation is of who? 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 Salvation is of the Jews. Was Jesus Jewish? Were the apostles Jewish? Paul talks in the book of Romans, if you're interested in pursuing this, in chapters 9, 10, and 11. The great mystery of why, why the Jews were so antagonistic. And how it seems that they're excluded from the blessings until the giant times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled. Have you ever read those chapters? Don't think I've preached too much on that since I've been here. 
no matter what these Jews do, God is working his purposes out through Paul. And Gallio, he figures out, he's getting kind of tired. I think Rome, the Roman Empire, is getting a little tired of the Jews, to be quite honest. The Jewish religion was sanctioned. And if Christianity is, is the maturity of Judaism, then Gallio has no problem. So he thinks they're making issues, mountings out of molehills. And here's another example of how, as far as we know, a non-Christian man, Gallio, is used by God to protect not just Paul, but Christianity. At least for a while, we know that Christians were protected by Rome. He says there in verse 14, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. So he had them ejected from the court. Who wins? God and Paul or these antagonistic Jews? The Jews are out on their ear. So they turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Have you ever heard the name Sosthenes? He's mentioned at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I really love to do a study on, on, on the book of Corinthians. It's a very uh, dynamic book, I think, in many ways. I wonder if it's the same Sosthenes. I wonder if this second synagogue ruler who gets beaten up actually repents of his sins and eventually turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever figured why we spend a thousand years? Don't you think it's asking all these questions? A, we have more questions than we have answers. We just don't know. But I'm hoping it's the same Sosthenes and that this synagogue ruler, the second synagogue ruler, also got saved as well. I tell you something, we can talk all we want about outreach, evangelism, witnessing, but there is a fear factor that comes in. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves and realize that even the greatest of them, like the Apostle Paul, sometimes were afflicted with the fear factor. And what we need to do is catch that vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? To take away those fears and to claim those promises that no, no matter how hostile it is around me, Jesus is with me. He will always be with me. And nothing can touch the apple of his eye unless he allows it to. So we don't focus on our fear. We focus on faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love to see every person in this room 
and everyone represented by the Anderson Church family. To be an evangelist in their own right, to be a missionary in their own right, not to be looking to anybody else. Yes, we can learn from one another. I certainly learn a lot from the Apostle Paul. We are to learn from one another. And Paul learned from the church members too. He says that in his writings. God has given his gifts as he sees fit. Let's use those gifts to his honor and glory. Let's respect one another for the ministry that God has actually given to us. Let's affirm one another. Let's encourage one another. And when the times of trial come and we have that fear in our hearts, let's wrap our arms around one another. Let's point one another to the Lord Jesus Christ and let's get this work finished. We want Christ to come back, right? We want Him to come back. This world is a mess. It is going down the tube. Christ will come back and we need to hear good and faithful servant from Him. Enter in to the joy of of the Lord. So take courage, even from the fear of someone like Paul. Let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you. We love you. We want to be used by you in any way, shape, or form. And this morning, Lord, we've been hearing, uh, earlier this morning, we've been hearing about perhaps uh, just the, the lifestyle that we live can be a shining light for you. And here we're seeing someone like Paul who was commissioned, as we all are, to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and somehow he got fearful. We don't fully know all the reasons for that. But Christ came along and encouraged him. May we encourage one another, and Lord, use us to, to get this work done, and may Christ come back soon. We ask in his name, amen.